One of many great Robbie Robertson songs. Vaughn Palmer is with us this morning for the Vancouver Sun. Of course, we have to start with talking about how amazing Robbie Robertson was. Uh, We do indeed, Simi. And I I think one of the most amazing things about this amazing person is captured in the headline on his obituary in the New York Times today, which says, Canadian songwriter captured the American spirit. He really did. That's true. The, the the band albums, uh, I mean, people have remarked on this again and again, that Robertson's songwriting, his words, uh, captured an a aspect of the American culture and history as an outsider. Uh, there's a great line from Bruce Springsteen in the New York Times obituary saying when he heard the, the band album, their second album, uh, he thought those guys had been around forever. They, where did they come from? And, you know, it's interesting. Robertson himself provided an answer to that. He said when they recorded their first album, they had already been working on the road all over the United States and Canada for six or seven years, often at night, show after show, not getting paid much, very hard work on the road. So when they actually got around to recording, they had paid their dues in a way that not many bands had done at that time. We know the Beatles did because they played in Hamburg, but it's that unusual background and history that I think we talk about. Um, The other thing, Simi, that jumped out at me in the obituary, and it's in the Globe, the obituary as well today, and in the UK Guardian, um, this guy's heritage. So his mother... His mother was a Mohawk from a Cayuga, uh, from the Six Nations Reserve. And uh, he didn't know this until much later, but his mother finally told him. His actual father was a Jewish gangster who died before Robertson was born. So, you know, <laughs> a unique and rich heritage. Obviously, he lived through the music as a, of other people, because he was a songwriter and a guitarist and an impresario and a band leader and later uh, worked with Martin Scorsese on a lot of uh, film music. But what a rich and varied history and what a remarkable person. It really was. And like I, I have his first, that solo album that he did, which didn't come out yeah. until 1989. Uh, and that was one of the first things I ever bought on CD. But when you think about how huge that album was compared to his career before that too, like just talk about the talent. Yes. So he broke up the band in 1976 with a final show at Uh, Winterland in San Francisco. I know some Canadians who went down to see it. Alas, I didn't. Uh, You can find the clips from that on YouTube, and I spent last evening watching them, and some of the greatest performances ever done on stage by different artists are there. And then, as you say, he, what, took a dozen years off from really recording anything prominent. It worked with Uh, produced Neil Diamond albums, and very good ones, by the way, and then uh, returns with his solo album, and uh, both his first two solo albums, both very, very strong, and then fades again, although I see in the obituary today 
uh, he continued to work on film music with Martin Scorsese. And in fact, his last work isn't out yet. That new Scorsese film that's coming out in October, Killers of the Flower Moon, the music consultant on that was again, Robbie Robertson, great friend of Martin Scorsese. So, you know, this is a guy with a unique and rich history. Uh, I recommend the listener go on YouTube and have a look at some of the performances from the last waltz. There's Robbie Robertson in the center playing the guitar, uh, clearly the band leader, and yet all the singing, all the performing, uh, the great performances, uh, Joni Mitchell and so forth, are by other people. And so I understand as well that other band members wish that he had never done that, yes. that he hadn't broken up the band. Yeah, the saddest part of the band story is the breakup of the friendship between Levon Helm. So the only member of that band that wasn't a Canadian was Levon Helm, the drummer. He was from Arkansas, and he's the voice you hear, that authentic voice, because it was authentic, on something like The Night They Drove All Dixie Down or Up on Cripple Creek. He had a terrific voice. And for a long time, they were in the band together, and Robertson saw Helm as a bit of a mentor. But after the band broke up, Helm wrote a very bitter memoir uh, in which he accused Robertson of hogging all the credit, regretted that he'd broken up the band. Robertson, in his own memoir, said he just felt like his friend had been taken over by a demon, but they never reconciled. Mm. Helm died of uh, what cancer, I think, in 2012. So there, that's a sad, sad dimension to an otherwise... Very powerful story. Oh, amazing history there, too. It's so sad. And I thought 80, oh, still had years 80 left. 80 years old. It's not bad. <laughs> not bad, but I still think there could have been years left there. Years yeah. left. Uh, well, thank you for that, Vaughn. I know we're going to talk about some political stuff, as we usually do. Uh, let's talk about what's going on on Vancouver Island, like with Tofino. How, it feels like this is the summer of them being cut off. Yeah, so Highway 4 is interrupted again, this time by rain. So let's see. Uh, the only highway link to tourist center of uh, the west coast of Vancouver Island has been interrupted this year by construction, maintenance, rock scaling, forest fires, wind, uh, things falling on the road, landslides, and now rain. And it's, it's cut off again. Uh, well, the highways ministry has protocols that say uh, when it's dangerous, one of them is based on rainfall. When the rainfall exceeds a certain level, they close the highway because they're worried about it washing out or ending up on top of somebody's vehicle. So that's why they do it, but it caught everybody over there by surprise. The community's going, you know, how long, how long, how long do we have to put up with this? And it's initiated a discussion about whether or not there's any chance of a backup route to serve those communities so that when the highway goes out, uh, they don't lose their tourist business. They don't have people stranded. That's the idea anyway. And the regional district is commissioning a study of options. Okay. Are they actually thinking about building another road? Well, the highways ministry says uh, we'll pay attention to the study. There are alternative routes. Uh, people in the know know about them but they're precarious. Uh, one of them is very, very narrow. That goes around Horn Lake. You can look it up on your BC map. Uh, the other one is the Banfield Road, and it goes out to Banfield, and it also then links up to the southern part of the island. You can go that way, but remember, that is not a particularly safe road. They've done some work on it lately, but remember that 
busload of students from the University of Victoria went off the road on. These roads are just not to the standard of BC highways. They discourage people from using them except when there's no other route. And of course, they use the bypass uh, back when the highway had to be closed uh, because of the forest fires. So they are, there are options there, but it, you know, Simi, it, I mean, it triggers a debate, uh, genuine, I think, about cost, first of all, won't be cheap. Building roads in British Columbia are not cheap. A former BC Highways Minister once said you could pave over the entire province of Saskatchewan for what it costs to build a kilometer of roads in British Columbia, so it's expensive. There's a bigger date debate too, though, Simi, and that is what does it mean to open up parts of the province to more roads? What does it bring to those remote parts of the province? And of course, now when you do that, Simi, you involve the Indigenous people of British Columbia as well. That seems like such a, and we talked about this, you know, when the flooding happened and the roads got washed yeah. out and it, it, we became, it became very clear that how limited we are in terms of yeah. being able to have roads leading in and out of this province, but really geography limits us a lot yeah. of the time. It does indeed, you know, and I have a, a former colleague here on Vancouver Island who, whose hobby is to go down these forest roads and these remote roads in British Columbia. And what he finds is people dumping old vehicles and garbage all over the place. He finds evidence of illegal logging. He finds damage to habitat. Now, he reports all this, but that's the other side. It's true that if you were to build a brand new highway uh, through to, say, Port Alberni from, say, uh, Lake Cowichan on Vancouver Island, again, you can look it up, there is a route there, uh, you're going to be opening up all those parts of the province to the risks of everything from wildfire to people dumping garbage to impact on indigenous lands. And I think that's why you end up with a, leg with a legitimate debate. And of course, the other thing is you get a costing on one of these projects and then you go, the government's going to go, well, is that it's going to be a billion dollars, right? Like I'm just picking that number out of the air. It'll be hundreds of millions of dollars. And the government goes, well, is that the right priority? I mean, there's lobbying on Vancouver Island for the government to find a way to get around the Malahat to build a different road because that road gets closed all the time by accidents. Every other part of British Columbia has a, a road they'd like to be built or upgraded to because, as you say, Simi, this is a very difficult province to build roads, a very expensive province to do that, and a very expensive to maintain them given the impact of the changing weather on the existing roads. Also, and you make an excellent point too, you're, you build another road, that means more access it's yeah. more readily available. And I wonder if even the people who live in those communities really want that. Yeah, well, you know, you, uh, <laughs> you want to have some fun, Simi. Start talking about linking the Gulf Islands with bridges. <laughs> there are a lot of places where you could put a bridge, you know, and eliminate sure. the ferry service. And what an, an idea. Ugly, an ugly mob with torches and tarred feathers will be busy <laughs> blowing. The last thing they want is a whole bunch of interlopers coming to their island. So uh, the government actually did, or BC Ferries actually did, a study along those lines on Gabriola Island. 
And, well, I'll just tell you, Gabriola Island now has two new ferries and grumbles about the fact that one of them is out of service when anybody phones in sick. But the people on the island definitely didn't want the other option, which was get rid of the ferry service and build a bridge. It's funny because if you live on the mainland, people are like, yeah, build a bridge. I get emails like that all the time. Oh, yeah. And then you wonder, well, why haven't they really seriously thought about that? You just hit the nail on the head about why they haven't thought about that. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, Pat McGear, who passed away last year, did do the definitive study, at least the only one we have, of a fixed link between Vancouver Island and the mainland. And he always predicted that someday we would build it. And he donated all of his papers and engineering drawings and even had paintings of what it would look like used to be on the wall of his office. He donated all that to the provincial archives. So if anybody wants to research it, you can go there. There are a couple of very big obstacles to that. One of them is the price tag, which would be in the billions of dollars. And the other is that Georgia Strait is really deep. It would be difficult to build a bridge across it. You might have to go with a floating bridge. And of course, just ask the folks in Washington state, floating bridges have been known to sink. And then what would we do when we'd shut down the ferry service and sold (laughs) off all the boats? (laughs) Oh, yes. I love all these theoretical questions. Vaughn, thank you for that. Bye-bye, Sam. That is Von Palmer there from the Vancouver Sun. He's right, though. Without fail, whenever we talk BC ferries, I will get emails. Vaughn will get emails saying, it's time for us to talk about building a bridge. Well, Vaughn just very accurately put, uh, you know, put it right there, the nail on the head, about why we don't get very far when we talk about building bridges uh, to the island and the Gulf Islands.